Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9 this morning, and we have, of course, uh, we've been traveling through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings. We're taking a break for that for this week. Next week, we'll be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and uh, covering up our uh, kind of finishing our area about the giftedness within the church. And that's been a great uh, challenge to me, a great study. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this morning, Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9, as we kind of look at Christmas. And how many of you are, uh, you, you love, you're a Christmas lover, you love Christmas. And uh, all right, how many of you are just kind of like, you know, you don't set up a tree and you're, uh, you're a fuddy-dud? How many of you, oh, I'm just kidding. All right, one, Mercedes, not afraid to admit it. <coughs> that's because Noah made her lift her hand up on that. No, I'm teasing but uh, this morning, we really, I, I love the Christmas season, um, not specifically for trees or, or the lights, although I love, I, I'm one, I love everything about Christmas, except for the cold, uh, but I love everything about Christmas. Uh, but specifically, man, I, I love just being able to kind of stop my thinking and go back to what Christmas is about. And I know that, you know, kind of the adage over the years of Jesus is the reason for the season, uh, that saying has kind of uh, been overused, but I really don't think you can overuse that saying because Jesus truly is the reason why we celebrate the, the season of Christmas. And we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and one of the, one of the few times, one of the first times that uh, it's prophesied about Jesus coming and about the Messiah and the, specifically the hope that Jesus is going to bring. As we get started today, I just want to know, have you ever had a time when you, uh, you woke up, you got going on your day, and as you got going on your day, things just did not go the way that you had envisioned them going that day? You ever had a day like that? You get up, you get going, and you get about three hours into your day, and you think, I wish I could just go back to bed. <laughs> I just want to go back to bed and wake up, and I want to start over. I want to press the reset button. You ever have a day? How many of you, be honest, you've had days like that? Now, all of us, our hands go up. Man, we all have days like that. <clears throat> a day when it seemed as though nothing could go correctly. A day when maybe we're just kind of running around like a, like a chicken with our head cut off, just kind of going from one thing to this, to that. And then we're just thinking, man, I'm exhausted. Nothing's happening the way I want. I just want to start over. Hannah had a day like that on Friday of this week. We were gone, of course, and for those of you that, that knew we were gone, thanks for praying for us. We went to, to Florida, had a, um, just a refreshing time. It wasn't relaxing uh, because I had my three kids with me, and uh, you know they, they're a blessing, but we were refreshed. We had a great time going to Disney World and spending some time with our family that's down there. We got back Wednesday, kind of hit the ground running on Thursday, and uh, Friday, Hannah had a bunch of errands to run, and, and I was going to be studying most of the day, and so I knew I wasn't going to see her till probably about six o'clock that night, and uh, she got going on her day, I got going on my day, but I came home for lunch, and she walked in right after lunch, about one o'clock, and I was surprised to see her, and she came in, and she was just kind of there, and I was like, hey, what's up? She's like, said her she did how, you know, ladies, you do when you're kind of flustered. She didn't throw her purse, just kind of like, <sighs> and I, I was afraid. 
you know, do I ask? Do I walk into this trap? And I did. And I said, hey, uh, everything okay? She goes, oh, I've had the most frustrating morning. I was like, well, well, tell me about it. She's like, well, I'll save all the details, but just know this. I hate Walmart. I'm like, well, you're with a multitude of people that hate Walmart. She said, no, today I had to go to Ephrata. I went and delivered something up in Ephrata. And then I, I ran into Walmart and I thought, well, I'm at Walmart. I'm going to get some family pictures done that printed at the, the print center and grab a couple things. And then that way we can mail those things out. And I, I went into Walmart and I, I got the, went to the printer and I began to, to print the things. And they told me it was going to take 10 or 15 minutes. And so I left and I got all the stuff I needed. I went back and I, I went back to find the pictures and they didn't have them. And they, they had told me, well, we don't have your pictures. Are you sure you ordered them? And she's like, well, I just spoke with you. Like, you don't remember me 10 minutes ago? And, and so I, I began talking and telling them, explaining the order. And finally, they found them on the printer. They didn't check the printer for the pictures. I was like, well, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that's probably really frustrating. She goes, yeah, but it doesn't stop there. She said, they gave me the pictures. And I went and I got all the way to my car. And as I was unloading everything in the car, I realized there was two things of butter that I hadn't paid for that were in the bottom of the car. She said, well, I parked all the way. She, this is what she does. She parks at the very end, the back end of Walmart's parking lot, so she never forgets where she parks. She's like, so I parked way out there. I had to walk all the way back in. It's freezing. I walk all the way back in. I pay for my butter. I walk all the way back to the car, and then the print center called me and told me they found more pictures on the printer. That I, that I had paid for. So I walked all the way back in and I finally got the pictures. And so my 15 minutes in Walmart turned out to be an hour in Walmart's parking lot, walking back and forth and just going back and forth. She said, and then a couple other little things happened. And so here she stands on, in, our, in our kitchen on that day. And it was just small, humorous things, but she was like, I just want to start over. Let's just start the day over. And we've all been there, haven't we? Man, maybe it's small things. I mean, little think about it. Like the Walmart thing, and we joked, and I asked her if I could use this as an illustration. Man, that's a small thing to think, man, can anything else go wrong? We've all been there with the small situations. But let's tell the truth today. We've all been there with the big situations too. I mean, the big, the big struggles, the health struggles, the financial struggles, the loss of a loved one struggle. We've all, we've all been there at times when we think this, can things get worse than they are right now? Could anything else go wrong? At those moments, I would probably call those those hopeless situations. Times in life when you think, God, is it ever going to stop raining? Times in life when you think, God, is there ever going to be light at the end of the tunnel? Times in life when you think, God... Are the clouds ever going to dissipate? Well, this morning as we come to Isaiah chapter number 7, while we've all been at those seasons of hopelessness, we're coming to a place in Israel's history when they were at a season of hopelessness. They were at a time when they just wished things would go better. They were at a time when it was almost like what else could go wrong And it's exactly the place where the nation of Israel is living right now. They're living distant from God. 
The people of Israel, they're experiencing a great, uh, a great time of frustration internally. They're continually walking in opposition to God. They're defiant. They're, they're running from God. They're ignoring God. They're surrounded by their enemies. They're seeking alliance with other enemies. And really, in Isaiah chapter 7, it's one of the darkest times in the history of the people of Israel. But what we're going to discover is this fact. That in Isaiah chapter number 7, God comes to his people and he gives them this thought. Hey, a better day is coming. Hey, look up because there's hope on the horizon. Hey, lift up your eyes because even though it's struggling now, no matter, no matter the darkness of your day, there is always hope with the Messiah. And this morning from Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter number 9, I want to bring you and I the same message. Because the fact of the matter is that every one of us have dark days. Every one of us have situations that seem hopeless. But there's one statement I want to get across, and I want it to stick. If you, if you miss everything, don't miss this one statement. And that is this. With Jesus, there is always hope. With Jesus Christ, there is always hope. With Jesus, a better day is always coming. Take your Bible, if you would, and let's stand together. Let's go to Isaiah and chapter number seven. I just want to read a few verses as we start this morning. Isaiah chapter seven, beginning in verse number 10. We read these words. Moreover, the Lord, he spoke again unto Ahaz. This is through the prophet Isaiah saying, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, I, Isaiah to Ahaz, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name God with us. Shall call his name, what's the name? Emmanuel, God with us. Skip over two pages, Isaiah chapter number nine. Isaiah chapter nine, we read these words. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The passage before us today in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 are both very familiar portions of Scripture. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard, especially if you've been in our church, you've heard messages where these verses have been quoted or these verses have been stated, maybe many messages even upon these verses. But today, I don't want to look specifically at these verses. I want to look at the context around these verses. Because I want us to understand it is one of the darkest days for the people of Israel. And yet God comes, and that last phrase, when it says the Lord, the zeal of the Lord will perform this, 
It's God saying, hey, I know it's dark, but I promise you, I promise you, I'm coming. And with Jesus, with Jesus Christ, a better day is always coming. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us. I pray, Father, that you would help me today as I convey the truths that you've, that you've brought to, to my mind. God, I pray that you would just speak to my heart, that you'd help me to hear from you, that you would help me to be challenged once again by your word. And Lord, that today as we go through the service, that you'd be honored and that you'd be glorified. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for what you're going to do today. And we just pray that everything that's said and done would, uh, would lift you up. If there's someone with us this morning, Lord, that doesn't know that heaven is where they'd spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> As we come to the passage that's before us this morning, we need to remember that the children of Israel are at a time when they are actually away from God. Because of their leadership, they have been, uh, have been distracted and they've been really driven away from the presence of God and from the king all the way down to the poorest peasant, defiance of God is, is really the, the most selected choice. But during this time of hopelessness and this time of really arrogance against God and a place when hopelessness was the common feeling in every heart, God, he promises a solution. He promises to bring hope through an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes, through the babe that we know as Jesus Christ. But before we see the, the hope that's found in Christ, I want us first of all today to understand an overwhelming hopelessness, to see exactly the place in which the people of Israel were in. If you take your Bible, we could go to the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 15. 2 Kings chapter 15 and 16 actually highlight the, the time surrounding the prophecy from Isaiah to Ahaz. Not only there in 2 Kings chapter 15, but also even here in Isaiah chapter 7. We find that it's a time of hopelessness because it was a time of political unrest. It's a time of political unrest. Without getting into the details, we just need to know that Israel politically at this time, they're in a mess. Jotham, the son of Uzziah, has just passed off the scene. And while he was a king who, was, uh, who the word of God says did right in the sight of the Lord, we read these words about the reign of Jotham. Listen to this. And he, Jotham, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. How be it? The high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burned incense still in the high places, and he built, a, he built the higher gate of the house of the Lord. Jotham was one. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he did it for himself. Jotham, he didn't worry about leading the people to follow the Lord. He really just worried about just how he came across as a leader. Well, Jotham, he passes off the scene and Ahaz comes on the scene. Ahaz is not at all a God-fearing king. He's like many of the kings before him. He just allowed 
open idolatry. Ahaz continues to allow the uh, infighting of the people. This is a time when the kingdom is divided. Of course, the nation of Israel was divided into two, Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the the northern kingdom. And if you go to Isaiah chapter number seven, you actually find that, that civil war is taking place, that the northern kingdom is teaming up with Syria and fighting against Judah, and Judah is teaming up with Assyria and fighting against Syria and northern, northern Israel. There's a, a civil war and alliances with enemies. I mean, really, this is a time. It's a time in their history because of the leadership and because of choices that the country is just divided. Sound familiar? I think if we were all to be honest today, and I won't spend much time on this, but we could say that our country too is in political unrest right now. And it's not because there's a a Democrat in the office or a Republican in an office or whatever. No, it's because God isn't in office. It's because God isn't the one who's leading. It's because really, if you think about it, we as a Christian nation, we really aren't a Christian nation. America is a post-Christian nation. What does that lead to? Well, that leads to a lot of infighting, doesn't it? It leads to, let's be honest this morning, it leads to a lot of people looking at our country with hopelessness. It leads to a lot of Christians even fighting amongst themselves. I've been amazed through the last year and a half and and everything, and again, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but through everything with, with COVID and politics to see how many Christians just fight and bicker with each other even in their own homes. Husband and wives who make make enemies out of each other because of the political unrest. Can I tell you, friend, that we too can associate with what they were going through, oh, maybe not in the same sense, but just in the fact that it's a time of political unrest and political unrest can bring about hopelessness. That's what they were going through. A time of political unrest, it was hopeless because of this, but also it was hopeless because the enemies are closing in. The enemies are closing in. If you go to Isaiah chapter 7, go a few verses before we, where we read and look at verse number 5. We read these words. Because Syria, Ephraim, the son of Ramalia, have taken evil counsel against thee. Now, Isaiah, okay, listen, Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. And so here's what Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, he's saying Syria and Ephraim, the son of Ramaliah, they have taken evil counsel against Judah, taken counsel against you, Ahaz, and your kingship and your people, saying this, let us go up against Judah and let us vex it and let us make a breach therein and set a kin in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Second Kings 16 says it this way, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz, but they could not overcome him. Just a few verses later, it says, so Ahaz, he sent messengers to Tilgath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Now, let me just make sure we all catch this. Northern kingdom teaming up with Syria, enemy. 
southern kingdom, Judah, teaming up with Assyria, Tilgath-Pileser, enemy. And Ahaz is saying to the enemy, I'm your servant. Do you see anything wrong with that? I mean, here's the king who's supposed to be leading the people of God, who's supposed to be saying, God, we are your servants. And he's saying to the enemy, I'm your servant. What else does he say? He says, I am thy son, thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz, notice what he does. He took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. Wow. I want you to remember this, okay? Remember what he does. We're going to see it in just a minute. But what we find taking place is people who were once friends are now enemies, Israel versus Judah. And people who were once enemies, Syria and Assyria, are now friends. Syria is in cahoots with Israel and is against Judah, and Judah is allowing the enemy of Assyria to become an alliance. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 17, all the way through chapter 8 and verse number 22 speak of all of this. And listen to how, listen to how Isaiah summarizes everything that was going on in Isaiah 8, 22. It says, And they shall look unto the earth, and behold, the trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. It's a description of, of not only a prophetic time to come, but it's a description of that time even then. Well, why was it so dark? Because the enemies were closing in. Why were the enemies closing in? Because Ahaz, because the king of, of, uh, of Judah and the king of Israel, they were giving the enemy easy access into their life. You know, it can be a hopeless time in life. It can be hopeless when you don't put up a fight against the enemy. Hopeless when enemies just come in. I want to make a very quick connection. There's a lot of Christians living right now that don't ever put up a fight against the devil. They don't ever put up a fight against their flesh. They don't ever put up a fight against sin that attacks their family. They don't, they don't put a fight up against uh, the things that are seen on their TV. They don't put a fight up against the things that, that families listen to. They don't put a fight up against different words and different influences that would, would try to capture their children. They don't put a fight up. They just kind of roll over, and to the enemy, they, like Ahaz said to, to Tilgath-Pileser, they say, hey, we are thy servants. We are thy sons. And all too often, there's a lot of Christians who just roll over and they become the devil's play toy and chew toy rather than standing up in their own family, in their own church, in their own home, in their workplace and say, no, sin is sin. You know what, you know what brings hopelessness? Hopelessness comes when God's people roll over and allow the enemy to have his way. That's where the people of Israel are. They're at a place of hopelessness. Why are they at a place of hopelessness? Well, because it's a political unrest, time of political unrest. They're at a place of hopelessness because it's a time when the enemies were closing in. But they're also at a place of hopelessness because there was noise within the soul. There was noise within the soul. Go to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 4. Again, 
God speaking to Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. And here's what God told Isaiah to say to Ahaz, one of the things. And say to him, take heed and what? Be quiet. Take heed and and be quiet. This is Isaiah speaking to Ahaz saying, hey, you need to listen up and you need to shut up. (laughs) This phrase, though, be quiet, it has more to do than just shutting your mouth. It has to do with the internal voice. This phrase, be quiet, it means have rest within your soul. Hey, you're living with a noisy soul, Ahaz. Hey, you're listening to a lot of voices, Ahaz. You need to to listen up and you need to quiet your soul down. Your heart, Ahaz, your heart is lying to you. You are so distracted. You are so distracted by everything that's going around, on around you, And you're so distracted with everything that's going on within you. You ever noticed, those of you with families, are you like us that when you drive and when you travel, that you get in the front seat of your car, husband, wife, kids in the back, and as you go to have a conversation just a husband and wife, have you ever noticed that the kids get louder? <laughs> Parents, be honest. How many of you have noticed that? Isn't that the most annoying thing? Man, we'll be sitting there talking, and Hannah and I'll, I'll be driving. She'll be there. And I, I don't mind them doing their thing and having their conversations and all of that stuff. I don't mind that. But it seems as though when I say, hey, Hannah, I want to talk to you about something, that the kids are like, ah, 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 you know, and I'm like, whoa. I forgot you guys were with us. You were quiet. You ever had to say this to your kids? Quiet down. I can't even hear myself. Think. Better yet, you ever had somebody ask you a question? You had somebody ask you a question and not listen for the response. There's somebody in our family that's infamous for this. I'm not going to say their name, but I have two sons and one daughter. It's not my sons. (laughs) And Lena's sitting right over here. And there'll be times, and Lena, she's gotten a lot better at it now. But when she was a little kid, man, she'd come up. She'd be like, hey, Dad, what are we going to do for lunch today? And she'd ask, ask a question. And I would take literally 10 seconds to think, oh, did we talk about something? What are we doing today? And I would turn to say something to her, and she'd be like, doing, doing her thing, off in la-la land. And right when I'd say, well, I think we're going to, she'd go, hey, Dad, what are we going to do for lunch today? Well, I think we're going to, Dad, are we going to lunch? Well, yeah, I think we're going to, hey, Dad, are we going to, there'd be times I'd be like, girl, stop and let me just answer the question. Quit talking so you can listen to my voice. You know what, as a parent, many of you are laughing because you've been there or you were that kid. 
If you were that kid, if your parents are still living, you need to call them right now and just say, I'm sorry. If you weren't, you need to pray and ask the Lord to help your parents know that you were sorry and he can just pass the memo along to them in heaven or something like that. But listen, here's what we have to know. Here's what Isaiah, and don't miss it. Here's what Isaiah is saying to Ahaz. He's saying, hey, stop talking and listen to the voice that matters. You have so much noise going on within your soul. You're not listening to the voice that matters. If you and I were to be honest today, we would probably admit that there are times in our life when we too don't listen to the voice that matters. Did you know that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and who can know it? And yet you and I, we say, well, my heart. Well, my heart says Now, you know what? It can be a time of hopelessness when we fail to listen to the voice that matters. It's a time of hopelessness because there's political unrest. There's enemies coming in. There's noise within the soul, but also there was fear within the heart. Fear within the heart. Go down, if you would, to verse number four. Verse number four, if we're looking in Isaiah chapter seven, it says, and say unto him, take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted. Ahaz and the people, they were afraid of what was coming. You can sense that when you go to Second uh, Kings and you can see that them even trying to form an alliance with their enemies, they're fearful about what's going to take place. And Ahaz is so afraid of what's going to take place that he turns to the enemy and says, I am your servant, instead of turning to God and saying, I am your servant. Did you know this morning that fear, it is a destructive trait in anyone's life? Now, let's be honest. Do we all struggle with fear? Yeah, we all struggle with fear. Every single one of us struggle with fear. It's not about not having fear. It's about having greater faith than your fear. I'm reading right now in the book of Acts. I've, been, I've said this before, but uh, every month this year, I've just taken one book and just studied that book. And this month, I'm studying the book of Acts. I'm reading seven chapters a day. So as of right now, uh, I've read through the chapter, or the book uh, four times, and tomorrow I'll complete it my fifth time just in, just in the month of, of December. But one thing that has stood out to me, every time I read Acts chapter numbers um, two, really the entire book, really the entire book, Something that has stood out to me is how God's people and those believers in the early church, how they operated so much by faith in the Lord. At such a fearful time, it really jumped off the page to me. Hey, kids, you guys over here straighten up, okay? I got two kids sitting right there, so I can correct you two, all right? You guys stop talking, stop passing notes. Let's just quiet down. Here's what happened. And I don't do that often. All of you know that. So we just did it today. Uh, here's, what, here's what jumped off the page at me is, I, is um, Acts chapter number nine. Acts chapter number nine. Saul of Tarsus has just trusted Christ. Okay, Saul was a great persecutor of the church. Everybody remember that? He's a great persecutor of the church. And Saul of Tarsus is, uh, he's at a, at a house in Damascus blinded by the light, right? He got saved. And God comes to a man named Ananias. Now catch this. God comes to Ananias and God says to Ananias, 
Ananias, I want you and I want you to go talk to Saul of Tarsus. What does Ananias say? Uh, God, you sure about that? Wait, are we talking about the same Saul of Tarsus? God, are we, God, are, and he, begin, he doesn't talk back. He just asks for clarification. He's like, wait, like the Saul of Tarsus? Yes, that Saul of Tarsus. Hey, God, I don't, I don't know if you've heard, um, but he's been killing Christians. And I actually heard that he has license from the high priest at Damascus to come here and to kill Christians. Did, did, I, I don't know, God. Are we on the same page? But God says to him, yes, Ananias, I know. I've got great things in store for him. He's going to be a vessel to me. And basically, God says this, Ananias, trust me. You know what's amazing? As you go and you read it, Acts chapter 9, you know what Ananias does? He goes, okay. And goes right to the house. Hey, is Saul of Tarsus here? Yeah, he's in here. Hey, Saul, God told me to come speak to you. God's got some great things in store for you. Do you think Ananias was afraid? Man, he was very afraid. He had a lot of fear, but he allowed his faith to speak louder than his fears. You know what? In Isaiah chapter number seven, you know what caused so much hopelessness? Is the people were allowing their fears to speak louder than their faith. Enemies were closing in. There was noise within the soul and there was fear within the heart. And that fear within the heart was causing probably the most destructive characteristic a failure to trust. A failure to trust. Look, if you will, to Acts chapter number seven and verse number 11, where it says this, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Here's the people in Ahaz. What are they doing? They're, they're trusting in Assyria. They're trusting in the enemy. And God comes, this is so interesting. God comes to Ahaz and he says to him, Ahaz, I will be the one who protects you. I will be the one to help you. Better days are coming. Ahaz, something good is about to happen. Ask me, now he's saying this to a wicked king. Ask me any sign. Ask me anything and I'll do it. And Ahaz's answer, it seems like a humble answer, doesn't it? I will not, I will not. He says, right, he says, uh, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. But it's not a humble answer. It's an arrogant answer. What's he saying? He's saying, God, my trust isn't in you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, because if I ask, that means I'm going to trust you. But I can't see it. I can't see the defense that you're bringing. I can see the defense that the Assyrians are bringing, but God, I can't trust you. This right here is a statement of a failure to trust God when a at a time when God was saying, ask me anything. I will give you a sign that hope is coming. Ask me anything. And Ahaz refuses. You know what brings hopelessness in your life and my life is when you and I, with a pious attitude, fail to trust God. When we think, I've got it, I've got this, I can handle this. 
And yes, God may not come to you and say, hey, ask me for a sign. I'll do anything you want just to show you that I'm trusting. God may not come and say that, but there are times through his word that God comes and says, hey, would you just accept my word and just trust the next step? And you don't know all the results, but just trust. You don't know what they're going to say, but just speak up. You don't know how the finances are going to work, but just give. You don't know. And there's times in your life and my life when we say, well, God, wait, 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 wait. And we fail to trust. Can I say it this morning, this is definitely a time of hopelessness, isn't it? Man, it's a time of political unrest and division, a time when enemies are closing in, when there's noise within the soul, when there's fear within the heart, and when there's that failure to trust. And we've all been in these places, and our culture and many Christians are in these places right now. It is an overwhelming hopelessness. You know what's awesome? It's for his people, God doesn't leave you with overwhelming hopelessness. Uh, let's be honest. Does it sound to you like the people of Israel? I mean, humanly speaking, do they deserve for God to come through for them right now? Yeah, they don't. But you know, it's the same thing in your life and mine, that there's times we don't, we don't deserve God to come through. But that's why he is God and we're not. And I want you to see this morning as we look and we see this overwhelming hopelessness, I want us to see an overcoming hope. Man, an overcoming hope. We definitely see hopelessness in this passage, a time when people need a promise of something. And that's when we read about the hope of Jesus Christ, promised to the people of God, as well as to all humanity. And in the passage before us, God says, hey, you have a whole bunch of hopelessness, but I'm going to promise to you a hope that overcomes. Notice in the midst of the hopelessness, God says this, I'm going to give you a sign. A, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name. Don't miss the name, Emmanuel. Hey, listen, Israel, you're in a place of hopelessness, but you have hope coming. Why? Because I'm coming. Hey, you have hope coming. Why? Because I soon will dwell within you, because I soon will dwell in you. And you know what comes with Jesus every time Jesus moves into someone's life or into the world? You know what comes? Hope comes. Man, hope comes. Hope is always there with Jesus. Why? Because he is God with us. Why else? Because of his names. Now we read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called. We read that and we go through wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We go through those verses, but names mean something. Hey, did you know this morning that every time a name was given to Jesus Christ, it was given for the purpose of, dis de uh, of describing to us a distinct characteristic? of what he brings into your life. This morning, I want us to take just a very quick minute. You want to understand why Jesus brings all hope? He brings all hope because his name is wonderful. He brings all hope because his name is wonderful. What does the word wonderful mean? To be filled with wonder. Wonder, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. So wonderful, it means to be filled with the surprise, with, to be filled with a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and inexplicable. 
I want to ask you, can you really explain Jesus? I mean, can you really explain all that he is? Can you really explain all the wonders that he's done in your life? Can you really explain the moment of salvation when you, when you humbled your heart and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? I mean, and, and that, that burden was lifted and you knew for certain that heaven is where you would spend eternity. Can you really explain that? Oh, I, I know we can tell people, like I just said, I, I'm forgiven and, and I, I now have hope and, and we know, but can you really, can you really explain the overwhelming awe of who Jesus is in your life? No, we can't. Man, he is a wonder-filled God. Exodus, it says this about Christ, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Job said it this way, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. John, who walked with Jesus, at the end of his book, you know what he said? He said, there's also many things to be marveled at that he does, of the which the whole world couldn't contain it written down. (laughs) Just during his 33 short years, of physical life. Hey, you know why Jesus brings hope? Because his name is wonderful. Because he is wonderful. I love how one author described the name wonderful when he said this. It is a word which expresses with surprising accuracy everything in relation to the Redeemer. He's truly wonderful. Not only is he wonderful, but he brings hope. He is hope because he's the counselor. He's the counselor. His name shall be called Counselor, and what a counselor he is. What does a counselor do? A counselor offers advice. A counselor offers guidance. A counselor often offers hope in a hopeless situation. We live in a day where people ask for a lot of counsel, don't they? Oh, you might not know it, but I'm asked probably every week, to counsel somebody on something. I didn't know that a pastor had to be an expert in everything. Hey, pastor, can I get your counsel on investing? Sure. It's a shallow counsel, but I'll counsel you. Pastor, could you counsel me with my cats? Yes, I can do that. Give them away. (laughs) I get asked... People look for marriage and family counseling, guidance and career counseling, rehabilitation counseling, mental health counseling, substance abuse counseling, educational counseling, child raising counseling, and the list goes on and on. And while many of these these areas of counsel are needed, I want to say this morning that I believe the greatest counsel that's needed in every life in our society is the counsel from the one named counselor. I mean, Jesus offers you and I counsel from the position of king. He offers you counsel from the position of father. He offers you counsel from the position of comforter or guide. I mean, if you think about it this morning, you want to talk about hope in a hopeless situation, why not go to the one who has all wisdom for every situation? See, his counsel is unlike any other counsel. Why? Because it's perfect. Hey, let me tell you this this morning. 
God's never going to give you bad advice. I love my dad and I definitely miss him and, and miss the, the advice that I got from my dad. But I'm going to be honest, my dad's advice, every now and then it wasn't good. And I would say, dad, that's really dumb. You know what I'll never say to God? God, that's really dumb advice. No, because his advice is unlike anyone. It's perfect. Hey, there's hope in Jesus. Why? Because his name is wonderful. His name is counselor. His name is the mighty God. Oh, don't miss this one, the mighty God. What does it mean? It means that he is the all-powerful God. What does he have power to do? Anything. He can take the broken and he can make it new. He can take something empty and he can fill it up. He can take something that is useless and make it useful. He can take something that is hopeless and bring hope into it. He can take someone who is helpless and bring them help. He can take something and someone who is lost and help them be found, help them be, be saved. And I love how Paul wrote it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, when he said this, and great is, uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness God was made known, was manifest in the flesh. Man, Jesus Christ is God. There's churches that will say that Jesus Christ became a God. No, Jesus Christ was God who became a man and yet was still all God. Do you realize this morning that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, all at the same time. Pastor, can you explain that? No, his name is wonderful. I can't explain all of that. How can someone be completely man and yet completely God all at once? I don't know, but Jesus was the God-man. He was God wrapped up in flesh. The mighty God. Hey, he brings hope because he is the mighty God. He brings hope because he is the everlasting father. The everlasting father. <clears throat> Did you know that in Christ, everything that you've ever dreamed that a father could be, everything that you've ever wanted in a relationship with your heavenly or with your earthly father, Jesus is that and so much more. I've used the illustration before, but in my office, which right now is in complete disarray because it's been being remodeled, but in my office, usually I have a bookshelf right here on the inside of that door, and on that bookshelf is, when it's not cluttered, uh, is just a couple of pictures, and one of the pictures is of me and my daddy doe. Now, Daddy Doe is my mom's dad. Not his biological, not her biological father, but her stepdad, but was her, her dad from, what, two years old and on. Daddy Doe is the funniest person. He, he had a great sense of humor. He was awesome. He was wonderful to talk to, wonderful to spend time with. You know, my mom, she'll come in and with my office, she would come in and she's done it for years, even, even before they lived here, when they just visit, they'd, she'd see that picture every time she would stop and she'd look at that picture and she'd go, oh, daddy. Every now and then she'd tear up 
But all the time, all the time, she'd go, oh, my daddy, or oh, daddy. You know what? <clears throat> my daddy, Doe, in my mom's life, he was daddy. He was protector. He was counselor. He was encourager. Daddy Doe was everything that a daughter could want in a father. But you know what was wrong with Gordon Harwood? You know what was wrong with Daddy Doe? He can't protect her anymore. He can't offer counsel anymore. He can't come alongside and give a hug anymore. I'm trying to be sad this morning. Here's what I'm getting at. His fathership has ceased. You want to know what Jesus is? He's the everlasting father. His fathership will never cease. His investment, his love, his care, his encouragement, his patience, his protection, hey, his provision, hey, he's the everlasting father. His fathership will never, ever cease. This point right here means so much more to me right now than it ever has before because now my father's fathership has ceased. I'm so thankful today that I have a heavenly father whose investment in me will never stop. Man, you talk about a God of hope. He's the everlasting father that came to make sons and daughters out of enemies. Think about that. And he's the God that came and said, I'm gonna make my enemies my family. I love it this morning. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And lastly today, he's the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. You wanna know why Jesus is hope, it's because with Jesus, he's the Prince of Peace. And he brings the peace of God into our lives, but he offers peace with God. And you see, the whole reason that Jesus came to this world to die upon a cro- was to die upon a cross for your sin and for mine, to offer you peace with God. And when you have peace with God, what fills your life is the peace of God. And there are so many people in this room this morning that could tell you, hey, there was a time in my life when I was at a point of hopelessness, but God's peace filled my soul. And God's peace helped me realize that, you know what? I have a God that I can trust. Why? Because he is the everlasting father and because he's gonna offer me counsel in my horrible situations and in my good situations. And I can't explain all of it because he is wonderful. No wonder when Jesus was prophesied God said, hey, I'm going to bring you hope because here's what comes, me, Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, this morning, I just wonder, is God with you? And this morning, today, I just want to say that with Jesus, there is all hope. Man, there is all hope in the Prince of Peace. I read a number of years ago of a story about a, some tribes in, in New Guinea. These two certain tribes, and I'm just going to tell you the story and we'll wrap up. These two certain tribes, there were always, they were always 
fighting. There was always war. But there was a custom. This is crazy. There was a custom within the two tribes that if anybody, if anybody from either of the two tribes would allow the other tribe to adopt one of their children, if anybody from tribe A would allow someone from tribe B to adopt a child, there was a peace treaty that if that ever took place, they could not have war because of the child of peace. It was given as a peace offering. You raise my son and I won't be at odds with you. But the struggle was, and it's a true story, the struggle was with these two tribes over generations, no family was ever willing to do that. And countless lives were being lost. Every year, countless lives to the point where these tribes were dwindled down to just handfuls of people. But the story is told of one gentleman who got fed up with it. And one day, unbeknownst to anybody else, he picked up his son, walked all the way to the other tribe's village, right in the middle of the village, and set his son down and began walking away. Offering his son as the, prince of, as the child of peace. Here was the caveat. The peace only lasted as long as that child was alive. Hey, can I tell you this morning that God took his son and he placed his son as a sacrifice and an offering, as a peace offering. And he set that child in the middle of humanity and then he stepped away. And did you know that there is peace with God as long as that child lives? Hey, want me to tell you something? That child's never gonna die. Jesus came to bring peace with God and he offers you the peace of God. No wonder his name is hope. No wonder he carries all hope. No wonder his name was Emmanuel, God with us. I hope that today would be a challenge to us for this reason. I don't know what cloudy situations you're going through or I don't know what situations you're gonna face in 2022. Can you believe we're almost to a new year again? I just can't believe it. And when you're a kid, you just, you know, time like is a turtle. But I feel like when you hit like 23, Time just ticks. And then some of you that are something years old, you're like, it seems like yesterday. Hey, I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know. Listen, I don't know what clouds are going to be over our lives this week, this next year, the end of this year. I don't know what hopeless situations maybe you're in right now with family or friends or within a marriage or within kids or whatever the situation is. Can I just remind you of the statement we started with, with Jesus there is always hope. Hey, people of Israel, you're struggling. Hey, you're walking away. Hey, you're giving in to the enemy. Hey, you're, you're not listening to my voice. You're not trusting God. Hey, children of Israel, when God should have given up on them, God said, I promise you hope. And that hope is all wrapped up in a baby lying in a manger. Hey, this Christmas, would you ask God to help you remember that he is hope? 
Oh, we're going to look at lights. If you're like us, we're going to watch Christmas movies. We're going to get hot chocolate one night and drive around. If it's not icy, if it is, I'll just look out my back window and see someone's lights out there. I'm going to wake up on Christmas morning. We're going to sit down and read the Christmas story together, and then we're going to take turns opening gifts. If you're the Guidals, you're going to open a gift at 7 and then open a gift at 8 and then open a gift at 9. Maybe you're going to do that. I don't know what your family traditions are, but let's make a new tradition that every time Christmas comes around, we remind each other and we remind ourselves Jesus is hope, and he brings hope. If you know Christ as your Savior today, I'm asking you to make the decision this morning. God, God, would you remind me in my times of hopelessness that you have all hope? God, would you remind me that you are the wonderful counselor? You're the mighty God. You're the everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. That you are Emmanuel. If you know Christ, would you today make a commitment? God, would you remind me of the hope that's in you? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.